this is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, I hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. (laughs) Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. A lot of things that I've done over the last several years, you'd be super surprised he probably somewhere already surprised you know he wouldn't tell me to my face but he would probably tell Rick or anyone else that would listen here today that he was very proud of me and uh, then I'd have to go hear it from Rick I knew your daddy pretty well I knew him real well and he would be proud of the man that you are and what you've done for so many and all the charities and all the goodwill that you've done he would be very very and he is is very very proud of you As this podcast is being recorded, the final days of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s career as a full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver are slowly ticking by. It is the inevitable end of what has been a fantastic ride on the track, the world of pop culture, and in the hearts of NASCAR fans everywhere. Just as most other sports heroes reach that time, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has elected to get off the merry-go-round that is NASCAR and take life at a slightly slower pace. Not that he'll be sitting around the house, keeping the honey-dew jar down to a manageable level and tending his stamp collection, mind you. No, he'll be at work at Junior Motorsports, guiding his championship-winning teams, awaiting the birth of his first child, that kind of thing. He'll be in your living rooms in the second half of the season as a color analyst next year on NBC's NASCAR telecasts. Who knows, he might be a commentator from the Olympics. The point is, he'll be around and he'll still be Dale Jr., Jr. to his fans. From the time that Ralph Dale Earnhardt Jr. was born, it was not clear that he would become what he inevitably did. For some time in his life, he thought he'd be the best oil change mechanic at Dale Earnhardt Chevrolet in Newton and race a late model on the weekend. We all know that didn't end up being the case, but well into his teens, that's what he indeed believed. It is indeed the end of an era. Now only Kerry's son, Jeffrey, represents the family in NASCAR's top series. The last time a driver not named Dale Earnhardt or Dale Earnhardt Jr. was not assigned a full-time ride in the NASCAR Cup Series was 1978, four years after Dale Jr. was born in 1974. His life has played out on the road following his father around the NASCAR world, and he grew to manhood one fateful day in 2001. The rest of the nation mourned along with him, his sister Kelly, and the multitudes of Earnhardt Nation left without a hero. Dale Jr. became that hero just by being who he was, and he leaves the sport that his family shaped over the last 30 years with a majority of those fans still calling themselves Junior Nation. Steve Richards, producer of Back in the Day, as well as a longtime pit reporter and broadcaster for the Performance Racing Network, is here to discuss all that, as is Mike Davis, head honcho of the Dale Jr. brand marketing team and a longtime confidant. But first, let's travel back to 1974 to see what was happening then. People have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Richard Nixon imposed the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit on January 2nd and resigned as U.S. president on August 9th. I don't think that was the reason, but... This is the most joyous scene ever seen in the history of the 
Ray Boxing. This is an incredible scene. The place is going wild. Muhammad Ali has won. Muhammad Ali has won. Muhammad Ali knocked out George Foreman in the eighth round to win the Rumble in the Jungle heavyweight title fight. Second and goal at the two. The Miami Dolphins beat the Minnesota Vikings to win Super Bowl VIII. Richard Petty won his fifth Daytona 500, and the Oakland A's topped the Los Angeles Dodgers in five games to win the World Series for the third straight season. Among those born in 1974, along with Dale Jr., were singers Alanis Morissette. And Hollywood star Hilary Swank. Steve, Mike, this is the end of an era. What are your thoughts heading into the season finale and Dale's last race as a full-time driver? You want me to go first, Steve? Sure. I, I would tell you that, unfortunately, it's been so busy that we haven't really been able to come come in and just let it all soak in. And I know that that moment's going to hit us. And it's going to probably hit us at Homestead that, wow, this is it. But, you know, I, I did have a moment of pause just last weekend when some of these NASCAR, uh, some of these Dale Jr. tributes started coming out. Mm-hmm. Nationwide put out a really good one. Right. NASCAR put out a really good one. Chevrolet put out one. And they're very reflective. And then, like, NASCAR's had Dale Jr. fans kind of just, you know, incorporated with celebrities. And, and, it, and it finally made me stop and think, oh, it, it's almost time. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, almost, we're almost at the exit, right? right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so – it's going to be pretty emotional. I got to tell you, I mean, we're on the grid at Homestead, and I know there's going to be a crowd around, and that it, it's, um, you know, Dale's climbing in. This is something we've taken for granted for 18 years. Right. right. You know, and I've gone to many of these races. Steve, you're at the races, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. Dale Jr. climbing in. The Same way Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon. It's like, wow, you know, we're not going to get to see this anymore. And that's, uh, that's a shame. And if you're like me, um, you know, I just don't think they make him like they used to. I agree. And the thing at Homestead is that Junior's final race may overshadow the champion this year. Jeff Gordon's didn't, but Dale's might. Yeah, it depends on how that race plays out That's probably. True. And it depends on who's the, who the champion is uh, ultimately going to be. But um, listen, you know, they're sending Bob Costas down to Homestead, and it's not because of the champion. Bob will talk to the contenders. Right. But they're mm-hmm. sending Bob Costas down to Homestead because of Dale Jr. Well, now you know it's serious. Bob Costas is on hand. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, no knock on no, uh, no. Steve Latart and right. Dale Jarrett and Kyle Petty, but <laughs> right. they ain't Bob Costas. <laughs> no. no. You're exactly they're taller right. than Bob Costas. Right. Everybody's taller than Bob Costas. I think uh, this is a real loss for NASCAR because look at the talent that has left this sport in the last two years. Other than Jimmy Johnson, what other name driver is out there? What other, what other driver can a fan from coast to coast and worldwide identify with? That's the key, I think, because now in addition to the who's NASCAR got left, who do they have left? Mm-hmm. But they have the opportunity to develop those new people. Absolutely. And your hope is that, that they will. Your hope that uh, is that fans can find something to identify with some of these young guys. And maybe you don't find somebody you can identify with, but then maybe new NASCAR fans can identify with them. It's just the way – it's the circle of life, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, Mike, I, I think it helps that Dale will be on television. Because, the, fan, because the fans can still – they'll tune in to watch the races, but they'll tune in to hear what Dale thinks. And Dale will encourage them to pick a driver, and he's done that in the past year. He's been doing that heavily. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our hope is, when we did the NBC deal, is that, yes, this is a way for Dale Jr. to still be part of a sport that is our core competency. Let's mm-hmm. not lose, lose sight of that. It's not like 
we can just say, see a NASCAR. We're off to go uh, make movies <laughs> and, and be like The Rock mm-hmm. or Jean-Claude Van Damme. He'll right. still be there. It's like, you, you know, Earnhardt still race, okay? Right. Right. They still race stock cars. Mm-hmm. And so let's not forget about what – we're not going to lose sight of the passion. So that's why this NBC deal is really cool for us because Dale is in the booth at the places that he likes to be, which is the racetrack – and, um, and and then he still has opportunities to do other things to still con- continue to be brand relevant. Well, as Rick Hendricks said uh, during the retirement press conference, there is only one Dale Earnhardt Jr. Let's face it, Dale is unique, and you can't replace Dale. I mean, he's got just so many just wonderful traits from his personality, the way he cares about people, cares about everything he does, and that's why so many people are attached to him. But his commitment is to see the sport grow and uh, mine and everybody, every other owner and every other driver. And I think we're in a great position right now. The competition is equal, all the talent. So I've, I'm excited about this second chapter in his life because we're going to do a lot of it together. But uh, he also is going to still be in and around invisible in the sport and help tap these young guys on the shoulder and really tutor them and tell them, you know, what they're doing wrong, what they could do better because he's been through all those cycles of life. No, no one in the garage could be any better than Dale Earnhardt to mentor these guys because he's been through all the different stages, and they, every one of them look up to him. So um, I think we're in a good place. I'm, I'm excited about the future and uh, looking forward to, again, him helping me in a lot of different areas working together. So it's going to be neat. I think if you think about it, and I would like to hear your opinions, both of you, because I don't want to be biased, and I could be, being that I work for Dale. <laughs> but when you look at the, you know, the general scope, Dale Jr., you don't have to love Dale Jr. You don't have to be a Dale Jr. fan, but it's very hard to dislike Dale Jr. Mm-hmm. So I think that the worst people can say about Dale is that they're just not a fan of him. But that's really good if you think about it, because if you think about, like, you know, people you're fans of, people you don't like. Let's think about people you don't like. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. people. He gives you nothing. Dale Jr. gives you nothing to really dislike about him. If there's stuff that you don't dislike, and this is true when it comes to fans and what they say about Dale, if what their thing that they don't like about Dale is, well, he didn't earn his, you know, he didn't earn his spot, that speaks to their own insecurities or about their own problems. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually speak to Dale's. Dale's done nothing different. Mm-hmm. Then live his life, right? And that's a commendable thing. And so when you go and you talk about what Mr. Hendrick just said there, it's like what Dale is. If you can summarize it, he's he doesn't feed you a line of BS, and he doesn't give you anything to tr- truly dislike. The 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 very thing that people can say they dislike about Dale, it actually is what they may dislike about themselves or their own insecurities about whether somebody earned it, which, of course, Dale Jr. earned his spot. Okay. I mean, you don't win two Daytona. Look, I'm not even going to make that argument. That's a waste <laughs> no, of my you time. Don't have, you don't have to. I don't to. even have to. No. All right. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, people that say, oh, you know, he didn't win a race all year, whatever. Yeah, you you got your own issues you need to deal with. But Dale Jr., as a person, and as, certainly as a celebrity and an athlete, doesn't give people a whole lot to go to when it comes to trying to uh, dislike him. Right. I agree. And and look, here's here's a couple of numbers. 631 starts, 26 victories, or 27. We got Homestead. Uh, 149 top five, 259 top 10, 15 poles, almost 180,000 laps completed in competition. Yeah. You know, in that, in that, uh, 
which was it, Nationwide's commercial? I think it was Nationwide's commercial that they debuted last week where he says, you know, the track, the racetrack itself doesn't know your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. It you doesn't. Know, you can get there, but it, when you get on that racetrack, the track itself doesn't know your name. And it doesn't care. And it doesn't care, right. Getting back to what you said, too, yes. You know, and, and it's sort of in the intro to this. He never thought, he didn't go into his career as a driver knowing he would have any kind of success whatsoever. Because at one point... His late model money was gone, and Dad, Dale Sr., kind of got that going, okay? And he, the boy had some talent, all right? He's got talent. He's a great driver. You know, is he among the best? I, you know, I think that when we get to uh, Buzz McKim's segment, I think he'll, we'll get a good gauge on whether he thinks that he belongs in the Hall of Fame or not. I happen to think he does. And it's not all about what you do between the walls. It's all about what you do for the sport. And look around here. Look at the look at the folks inside uh, Junior Nation Retail Store here at the Exalta Studios at, inside. Uh, and, and that's because of him. Okay, it's not because of who his dad was, a little bit maybe, but it's because of who he is. And he's an engaging guy. When I first met him, he wouldn't say, you know what, if he had a mouthful of it. Just shy. He wouldn't say anything to you. Now, he can go in, command a room, command a boardroom, uh, pick up and play basketball with his guys down in Mooresville. You know, that, that's, that to me says he's a lot more than what he seems. You know, something else you said is that he didn't know the success he'd have. I'd go so far as to say his bar of success was so lower <laughs> than what you would even define success in this. I mean, he said, I just wanted to be able to make a check to pay my bills. That really, if he could do that, that was success for him. Right. So, in his mind – he exceeded all of that. And, guys, a couple of months ago, Junior talked about why he said that he exceeded his driving expectations. I've watched a lot of guys come in behind their dads and struggle. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that came in behind their dads and made it, but there's a lot of guys that didn't. And, uh, you know, my dad put up some pretty steep numbers, so I knew that that was going to be a challenge trying to, ha- you know, feel any kind of self-worth and be you know doing well enough you know to to satisfy people you know so and i you know i hated working for a living i didn't want to work for a living so the way i thought this is silly but the way i thought in 97 was man if i could get into an xfinity car and i could win you know win just one race what do i need to do just to say you know i think that's enough to keep me around and so when we when I started, when I won my first few races in the Xfinity Series, I thought, well, all right, I'll be able to keep a job in this sport for a while because of this little bit of success I've had. I didn't come here to be the most popular guy. I didn't come in here thinking that I was going to win seven championships. I just wanted to be able to do it, you know. I didn't want to flame out in two years and be gone and have to, you know, have to work, honestly. So... I just wanted to be able to make a living doing it, and it's turned out to be much, much more than that for me. So when I, every time I win a race, it's a surprise to me. And any time we did anything really big, like win the Xfinity Series championships or the Daytona 500s, it was, a, it was just, uh, even to this day, it's hard for me to believe that it happened to me. So that's what I mean when I exceeded my own expectations because they were pretty low, you know. I don't know why, but... I was a screw-off when I was a teenager. I wasn't, uh, I was late to work every day, and I didn't put in the effort, and, you know, I just didn't have my head on straight, so I shouldn't have amounted to much, but, um, and I wouldn't have if I hadn't got the opportunities that I got with my, with my father, and luckily enough, I had great people around me on the Xfinity deal that, that carried any of my, uh, 
own personal uh, limitations and you know until I, I finally figured it out late late in my career how to what I really was supposed to be doing this whole time as far as my job and being an asset and being accountable and, and applying yourself and it took a while but that's some some of us are late bloomers I um, uh, certainly uh, I didn't think I'd win another race after 2010 2011 I thought that was it I thought I was gonna squirm around in the back till till everybody just had enough of me but somehow or another we got back to victory lane a few more times so that was pretty cool <laughs> that's true he did uh, he, he we, we, we were all concerned about that 2009 2010 were bad years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well, they were terrible thank god for michigan michigan <laughs> michigan yeah thank god for steve latart yeah yeah <laughs> thank so, god for hendrick i mean sometimes uh, things just fall into place yeah it goes to speak to the chemistry all the, the little nuances that have to just be right just to win a a race on the premier level of nascar it's mm-hmm. just so hard to do it mm-hmm. everything has to be right including your luck mm-hmm. you know that, that that piece of debris that you can't even see right uh can't you know you can't run over it um mm-hmm. you know the cautions in the, the pit sequencing all this stuff forget if you just got everything fast i mean you just a lot of times the fastest car doesn't win everything has to be right and not only was it just not right, but, like, we couldn't catch a break. I mean, even this year has been pretty uh, pretty low on the break totals. It's been fairly brutal. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, look, in 2014, he enters Texas in the spring as a points leader. He uh, gets down behind a couple cars, misses the, the second dog leg. Boom, car's on fire. He completes 12 laps, and he's fifth in the points all of a sudden. So that was a, a rapid turning point through really no fault of his own. That's right. I forgot about that. You know, as you say that, it reminds me that, you know, when Junior's been in the lead and he falls out of the lead of the points, they've never been these graceful fall out of the points. It's like in <laughs> Talladega, he had to say shit to get yeah. catapulted back with a 25-point. Uh, right. You know, in uh, in Richmond, Kyle Busch had to wreck him, and all of a sudden now we've lost the points uh, mm-hmm. in 2008. I mean, they're just, you know, there's never just been a I, I finished six and the uh, other person finished second right and therefore overtook <laughs> it's like when dale falls out of a point lead he falls hard Twenty-five thousand feet and fall right. right joey chitwood uh, right, right. <laughs> blaze of glory well you know if, if, if you they don't know you're there until that happens you know well really too if you look at what dale has done inside the race car he was not going to be his dad very few people are well he said that yeah that's early what on yeah but i think what he's done has been awesome because he, you know, the whole thing with, with DEI coming to Hendrick, starting this place, Junior Motorsports. See, that's I think that's going to be a bigger part of his legacy than many people think. It better be because if your expectation, if you think that beyond 2001, let's say, forget 2001, if you think beyond 2005, 2006, that Dale Jr. is still riding the merits of his father, I mean, listen, he's a, he, he owns a company here that his father did not start. Mm-hmm. And it's been sustained since how long? I mean, it's, it's 2005. 2005, since how long? He's made a, he doesn't run for the family-owned team. In fact, the majority of his career has been without the family-owned team. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah. are we still having this argument or what? I mean, Some they, 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 it's just it's, it's pointless to even go there because it's just it's uneducated. It's not even worth uh, conversing about. Dale Jr. has established, if, if you go off the narrative that Dale Jr. made it to where he was uh, in 2000, 2001 because of his father, then so be it. We'll, we'll compromise on that. Mm-hmm. But Kerry Earnhardt also was in the sport. Right. Right? Right. 
somebody's in it still and somebody isn't. Right. That's no knock on carry. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have to earn your right to stay. Right. And Dale Jr. did that. And not only that, but he took, uh, you know, uh, from, from whether it's his business acumen, whether it's his sister, whatever it is, and he's built a company that, uh, that has sustained, that's competing for a championship, that is uh, a championship-winning team that wins a lot of races, and it also has nuances and differences that other race teams don't have, like its own licensing department that also runs licensing for other drivers with its own multimedia network. For You know, like there's a lot of things that, that Dale Jr. has earned on his own. Absolutely. And that goes toward the, toward the bigger umbrella of what we were talking about. It's not just what happens on the track. It was my, was my point when I started that. And, and I think people don't know a lot of that or don't pay attention to it. So, you know, Steve, your thoughts? You know, I was thinking about something that Kelly said uh, a couple of months ago. They were at Darlington for the press conference when they unveiled the grandstand, the new Earnhardt grandstand. And Junior's just a normal guy. You know, we've talked about him having this superstar status. And, you know, we kind of wondered how did Junior turn out so normal? Um, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think, I mean, I'm raising three kids of my own. And, and so I think um, for Dale and I, when we were growing up, life was really normal. We were, I mean, it wasn't normal. We had Dale Earnhardt as a dad. That's not real normal, but they kept it normal. You know, we were at home with relatives and friends. Um, we, you know, weren't, we, we didn't have all kind of lav- lavish stuff. We weren't, you know, bestowed presents every day um, or, or anything like that. So we just grew up normal. We grew up earning things. We had chores. We had an allowance. Um, you know, all those things that I think, and I think that's the time in your life when that groundedness is instilled. Um, and so I think that Dale was able to carry that, you know, into his adulthood. And, and um, because those things were established from for us very early on um, in our life. And, and it, you know, we could have had a lot more things and have been a lot different, uh, but we didn't. And that's how my dad wanted us to grow up. And uh, so I think, I think that's probably where it comes from. I, I got a response to that. I, I see what Kelly's saying right there, but I would disagree with her just a little bit and that you know okay her opinion obviously is weighted a lot more than mine is in this, in this uh instance i would say the thing about dale jr is dale jr is abnormal but he doesn't know it <laughs> abnormal in a sense of his talent he, he i mean he's a superstar he's, he's known i mean like that's not normal for us i mean we talk about normal he's a normal person i get what the p the point is on saying that right right but He's actually very abnormal. He's unusual. But he, I mean, the guy is a celebrity. I mean, mm-hmm. he's gonna be. He's been in movies. He's a, he's done a lot of things. But he just doesn't know it, which speaks to his humility. Right. Mm-hmm. True. That's absolutely true. And it's true. that humility, I think, that comes off as normal because mm-hmm. that is what is relatable. Um, the fact of the matter is, somebody that you don't have a lot to relate to. I, I mean, think about it, Ron. I I know what I make at this company. Right. I think it's substantially less what Dell makes. Probably. Whatever it is, there's probably less that we relate to Dell Jr. than we realize, but it, it's so not obvious because he doesn't recognize it. He doesn't carry his wallet. He forgets his keys at home. He he does all those things that we do. That's why so, we have Tyler. So it's like, you know, it's almost like, you know, he doesn't know how rich he is. Well, it's true. You and I aren't going home to our garage and having 48 different keys. I don't have 14 cars. Yeah, exactly. Dale does. I don't apologize for saying that. It's been on Cribs. I've not had my car collection featured on Cribs. Right, right. You know, and, um, you know, (laughs) Funkmaster Flex. Yeah. (laughs) Who? But but the thing is, Dale has, 
and he doesn't understand that that actually makes him unusual. I did not know him when he was growing up here, obviously, because I was elsewhere in the country, and uh, we don't run in the same circles. However, he seems like a lot of people I know who grow up here. He is he is the same guy he was back when he was living over there by DEI. And that and that's what I'm trying to say. And it's like if you know, other ways to say it is it never went to his head, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, people fall into success and fall into money. It changes them. It didn't change. That's Kelly's point here on that clip. Right. It never changed Dale. Didn't forget your, you know, your roots or the the. Don't uh, get above your raisin. I think is the way they yeah. say it. But the fact is, is that that's what makes him quote unquote mm-hmm. normal. Well, and he's never had a problem speaking out, either. Well, depends on who you're talking about. Like as Ron said earlier, he he's always been sort of an introvert. Mm-hmm. But this comfort he had developed over the years i don't think it happened overnight i can't even point back to a time when we're like wow he's really good you know as far as being very transparent on you know and and speaking out and speaking his mind he's always been honest right but i I think that the wick turned up a lot and is how much he would open up sometime over the last uh five six seven years maybe did that correspond when the podcast started no, I think it was before that. Well, listen, you know what? If we had to really drill down, I'd say it was probably after. You know what? If we had to drill down, mm-hmm. it was probably when Steve Letarte took over. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when Steve Letarte took over, also was about the same time Amy entered the picture. Mm-hmm. And both of them had an effect on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Both of them had a different look on life that I think really uh, impacted Dell Jr., influenced him in a positive way. And so before that... I don't think Dale Jr. was nearly as open because I he was to me, but I'm going to tell you something. It was miserable. And so, like, the, you know, like that type of misery, you don't want to transmit out there to the people. because <laughs> Miserable in what respect? We, we, he wasn't if, running We well. couldn't finish in the top 20. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. It, was he a miserable person? It, it, it made us all miserable. <laughs> God, it was. No, 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 no. I'm not even kidding. I know. I we, know. It was terrible. It was, listen, we'd lived the good life. Mm-hmm. You know, I started with Dale in 2004. We won six races then. Right. Started off at the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. It was clicking along. And then we go change the crew chiefs up at the end of that year. 2005 fell flat. We won, mm-hmm. won one race on a fuel mileage, on a pit call. It was mm-hmm. a pit call, not a fuel mileage. It was a pit call. So we weren't even the best car. 2006 sort of rebounded, won a couple times. Uh, that, by that year, we had Tony Jr. back. Then we, you know, eventually go to Hendrick. And it's just like we were experiencing success. And then 2009 and 2010 comes along. And it was utterly it depressing. Yeah. It, not only that, Dale was building a house. Mm-hmm. And so the house that he lived in, which, you know, was the, ha- the modular home that was featured on cribs <laughs> and that kind of thing. People would have seen it. Yep. It was torn down, and so Dale was living in this dungeon apartment. It didn't even have windows, and so not only do you go finish and think about just your, your just your, uh, well, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. You just everything about you, yeah. You finish like crap. Mm-hmm. You can't figure out why you're not doing better. Right. It's awful. You go home to a dungeon. The walls are black, like mm-hmm. this. There's no window, so it's not like there's not even a ray of light in your life, <laughs> like. Physically, like, forget, you know, theoretically. I'm talking, like, you can't even get light. In your house. Natural sunlight, right? (laughs) And it's like, everything is depressing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, when Rick Hendrick comes along, Rick Hendrick find out where he was kind of living. He's like, man, we got to get this house built. That is 
he we got to get him out of that apartment. Mm-hmm. It was his late model shop. It's where we play basketball now, but it was late model shop, and they built a little room and mm-hmm. had a couple little rooms, a bedroom and a bathroom and a kitchen and a living room and right there in the late model shop, but it didn't have windows. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah. the light came from video games, I would guess. <laughs> Which also doesn't exactly, you know, yeah. make it make it make somebody feel better about themselves. <laughs> you know, you spend six hours in a video game. I don't care if you're a gamer. Six, you know, you don't feel like you've accomplished a lot in your life if no. you've, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe I'm speaking on behalf of gamer. Maybe maybe we're making your gamer audience uh, upset right now. Yeah, both, our gamer bo- both, audience, both right. of them. You guys, yeah. you guys exude the uh, younger generation of gamers. They're That's playing games. They're not listening to podcasts. That's right. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. So 2009 sure. and 10 was just depressing. And so uh, to go back to the point, which I think was, you know, when did Dale Jr. start really becoming open? And, not, and like, I don't think we were very open and honest then because if we were, it would have uh, brought the entire world down. And uh, it, I don't think anybody wanted to live kind of that that life. Now, listen, in, in retrospect, there's people that deal with a lot of bad things in their lives. And so we're not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, because you didn't finish, you know, better in a race. Now, you know, your life sucks as much as somebody that's dealing with really right, hardships. Right. But understand when you got it, okay, that's also not what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is that somebody that deals with the pressure of the world on your shoulders and, and has high expectations to meet and also had experienced them in just previous years past, it was very depressing. Right. It wasn't all milk and cookies. So when Steve Letarte came along, everything changed. Mm-hmm. The outlook, the way we approach racing, the way we approach life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if we had to look back at a time when Dale Jr. started opening up, a lot of it depended on the fact that we were faster in a race car, but also because of the people around him were just uh, a lot more, uh, you know, happy. <laughs> it reminded me of what Junior said back in April. He said there was less pressure on him about this whole retirement deal, and it reminded him of when Steve Letarte announced that he was retiring. He called that whole season completely different. He was more aggressive, and I think it was because he had the freedom to be that way. And he's like, you know, what if it don't work? And a lot of times it ended up working out. We won both of those Pocono races on pit calls that he made. We didn't just outrun everybody. Um, There's things he did in the middle of the race that we might not have done had he not had his mind made up what he was doing and, and, hey, this is my last hurrah, we're going to go for it kind of attitude. And I noticed that whole year him, he was a much more easygoing, approachable. I mean, he's pretty damn likable, but he was much more likable and, and easy to be around. Everything rolled off his back. We didn't get frustrated as easily. And um, I'm anticipating that being similar for me. I take it a step further. Yeah. Dale Jr. hated going to Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And they would spend all their test dates, back when you had testing and all that kind of thing, they'd go try to test Sonoma. What did Latart say? Screw it. We ain't going to test Sonoma. We'll show up there. We'll take a car to Sonoma. And whatever we got, we got. We ain't wasting a, a second testing there. Right. <laughs> and they ran better. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that because didn't he run top 10? or Top 10. Finished like fourth or something? Led laps. Yeah. I interviewed him post-race. Yes. Couldn't believe it. And the, the, when we started, that was all <laughs> Steve Letarte's approach to it. It's like, screw it. I mean, it, you know, Junior's talking about we took gambles and took risks that otherwise you wouldn't have. How about not going to test at the track you hate the most? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Junior was talking about how things uh, during this year might be easier because of what Steve went through as far as his retiring. But he was asked uh, at Talladega the fact that he's not in the playoffs. Okay, would that give him more time to enjoy, you know, spending time with the fans? Well, probably not. I think that the uh, fans would be having more fun 
if we were racing for the championship, and then I'd be having more fun, you know, interacting with them in that in that manner and their excitement of it. So, it, I, I think it's a little bittersweet for me and the fans, our supporters, uh, with the situation we're in. I only really have fun when we run well. Uh, it's been a difficult year uh, from a fun meter standpoint. Uh, we haven't really moved the needle too much this year. That's it. I mean, I have fun. I enjoy running well. When I don't run well, I don't know that any. I don't know anybody that enjoys that, and 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 it's hard to to make light of it or or hard to smile through it. And uh, I think the fans would have more fun, and in turn, me having more fun if we were in the thick of the, the championship battle. Yeah, I was so hoping that Junior would have made the playoffs and was praying that he would make it to Homestead. I think it would, be, would have been great for the sport, obviously. That'll be the one thing that we look back on this year and say, man, you know, just such a missed opportunity to really kind of go out uh, the way that Dale deserved to go out. And it just, you know, we never could get, we get, got off to a bad start when uh, at the Daytona 500 when, was it, we ran into the back of Kyle Busch? I mean, we turned four, we were yeah. there in the front and it just never turned around. No. I mean, it just got off on a bad start and, Never could, you know, finally then the car didn't really have as much speed in it, and we were sort of just destined to be a 12th to 13th place running car all week. And it's like, God, we couldn't ever get out of that funk. Well, look, as an aside to that, Jimmy Johnson's not exactly setting the world on fire these days. Chase has been running really well. Uh, Casey not Kane all is, year. I mean, yeah. the organization as a whole has sort of come right. back in, in the last month or so, mm-hmm. but there was a spell there that uh, Hendrick Motorsports and maybe even Chevrolet's as a whole. Yeah. Is, uh, and I don't know that they've completely climbed out of that, by the way. I mean, the Toyotas and a few of those Fords have been pretty dominant this year. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it is good that, you know, Chase has uh, been able to perform very well. Jimmy's uh, been able to climb back and, you know, but anyway, you know, here's a here's a th- something I was I've been wondering ever since he announced that he wasn't going to be in the car next year. What do you suppose the feelings are going to be inside that helmet as he's on the grid, and more importantly, as he's taken that helmet off for the last time? Well, first of all, you're going to know because we're going to have our documentary crew there. So mm-hmm. if, I don't know when you'll know, but that's <laughs> being documented. So yeah, there is that part. Um, I think that Homestead is going to be such a circus that he'll be ready to get in the car. Like, I think the feeling of just wanting to be in the car will surpass his feeling of, oh, this is the last of it. So, whatever. I, that's just a prediction. I have Dale's answer. Let's hear it. Let's let's hear Dale. Okay. I'll be sad as well. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to put so much into something and then have to, you know, and then, then and, you know, have to stop doing it and, and change directions. It's just uh, no matter why you're – you know, retiring or, or or having to change what you're doing, it's not, you know, when you put so much into it, it's uh, hard to make that change. And I don't really know what I'm going to miss. I think if I knew what I was going to miss, it'd be even more emotional and harder to deal with. But the fact that I'm not quite sure exactly what's going to be the most difficult part about it, it's it's really not set in yet. So I know it'll be, uh, you know, emotional on Sunday at Homestead, that last race. I'm going to have a lot of friends and family there because of that moment i don't really have a lot of friends and family that come to the races uh, my mom doesn't come to many races at all but to have all of them there it's going to make it more you know important and, and special for me so i'm not quite sure how that's going to work out but i never really thought about what that would be like until steve ran his last race with me at homestead and he was as cool as a cucumber all weekend at least in front of everybody in front of me and the guys and the, and the hauler and everything and um 
every race he would lean in the car you know we'd shake hands we he'd, he'd, we'd say a few words about you know have a good day i'm here with you we're going to work together all those things that you like your crew chief to say and as soon as he come in there and started talking he just fell out and just started crying bawling like a baby and i thought man you know and i started crying too <laughs> to be honest with you um, it was a difficult moment so i imagine that's really going to be part of it for me and it's going to be hard to not have those emotions at that last race yeah, I feel like I almost need to apologize because I got a pregnant wife. I'm retiring, and I don't, and I just feel like I'm gonna break down any minute. <laughs> I feel like every answer that I have has some sort of sad undertones and very, uh, you know, uh, very, very emotional uh, temperament. But yeah, I mean, it's starting to really sink in. I, I hadn't felt much. I, I, you know, went through Talladega. That was emotional weekend regardless of how many races were left in the year. But now, I think after Texas, I don't know, I went hunting for a couple of days, and so I didn't really have to think about it too much. But I'm not sure that I'm, like, uh, you know, just ready to be going through all that, uh, that were, you know, that emotion, I guess, that I'll have in Homestead. But it's coming, and uh, I hope that I can handle it well. And But it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to see how that feels. Amy, she's, uh, you know, being pregnant Bless her heart. She's tearing up at a drop of a hat. All these videos and things people are, all these things that our partners are creating, this content has been just incredible. Uh, makes you feel so good in your heart. Uh, the comments from fans, it's more than you can process. And uh, I'm sure that Homestead is just going to be like the cork coming out of the bottle. So uh, I'm lucky that Amy's going to be there. I'm lucky my family will be there and, and my team. I'll have so much support, uh, and I want to support them, and it's going to be emotional for them and our fans. Uh, just I, you know, I don't know really how to, to describe it, but I hope that you guys uh, don't mind it being a little bit heavy. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> We're over here crying right now. It's just no, uh, you know. Let me just tell. Let me tell you the thing that he didn't know, didn't think about when he was given that answer. He obviously he's going to be right. I mean, like he's going to be emotional, but he didn't envision when giving that answer to you, Steve, was the bicycle fencing that's going to be around his car, which, oh by the way, will be in the back, and regardless of where he qualifies, because they're putting they're repositioning his car in the back just to accommodate all the masses of people that are going to be around it. Oh wow. The bicycle fencing that's going to be around the car just to keep people out of that area so the crew can actually prepare for the race. Right. That's all going to play into the I want to get my ass in the car. Exactly. <laughs> and then maybe it starts to get reflective and emotional that kind of thing, but I just I think as we've been preparing for Homestead and and the chaos that will uh, sort of I hope is controlled chaos. Knowing Dale, I think he's his his place of comfort is in that dang car. Mm -hmm. and that's where he's going to want to be. And it'll hit him at some point. Maybe when he climbs out, I know he wants to have a beer with the team. Do, were you there in 2005 or 2006, Steve, when Dale Jr. made the chase and it was such a big deal? Maybe it was 2004, in the first year of the chase. And he uh, had me bring a cooler of beer to Pit Road where the car was parked. And on Pit Road, we – by God, cracked open beer, cold beer on ice. And I, I was at the race, but I, I heard about the story, but I, I wasn't there to see that part of it. That became kind of a thing for Dale. Like, I, if you know, I want to take in this moment with my team, and what better way to do that than crack a couple ice cold beers? Mm -hmm. And he wants to do that after this homestead. And so maybe it hits him there. 
right? Maybe when you're sitting there and you're in the garage or wherever he, you know, pulls it to a stop that it hits him. I know media are going to be all over the place and, you know, they want him to go to the media center and, you know, we're talking through all that. But eventually it's going to hit him and it's going to hit us all. Mm-hmm. I know one person that will be very emotional. You? No. Oh. Kelly. Oh, Kelly already is emotional. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, she's she. it has already hit her. It hasn't hit me because, I mean, again. You're too busy. We got a book going on. We got a documentary film going on. We got a couple of different retirement events going on. We're trying to build and plan. And he's got me hosting it with him in, in one of them in <laughs> Vegas on November 20th. The, I don't host things. So it's like I'm all spun <laughs> hey, out by that. Hey, uh, Yeah, right. We have, I've done something at our Christmas party. But it's like. You know, also, you know, building up Dirty Mo Media, how do we cover all these things? It's like I haven't had time to really process all this and it'll hit me. Uh, And I hope it's not right there in front of everybody at Homestead. But the fact of the matter is, is that Kelly has been pretty emotional on it. And, you know, these these tributes that are coming out. Listen, now that there's no fans in here, I can say this because this comes out next Thursday. Budweiser's putting out a a, a tribute that will just knock everybody to the floor. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. I'm getting chills just talking about it. I've seen it. I've watched it four or five times. It's it's something. All right. Well, here's what Kelly had to say about the emotional aspect of Homestead. You set me up every time, Steve. You I, ask me I a did. question. I'm like, he's just teeing up the, the clip. He's going to make me look bad. That's how we roll. That's how it. we roll around here. All right. Let's hear Here we go. I mean, I'm going to cry a lot. I, just, I might as well just pack mostly tissues in my suitcase. Um, uh, it, it, I don't. I just know I'm going to cry just because at most events when there's anything that's uh, historical or involves my family or something coming to an end or something changing, that's just what I do. Um, I don't know how it's going to be. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be probably surreal in the moment. That It's going to be very busy because uh, my team at, at, on the brand side for Dale are going to have our hands full for the weekend coordinating and doing and entertaining and sponsors and so it's probably going to be one of those things sort of uh in the moment that you know you just work through because you've got a lot of things to handle and do and then you're going to look back on it and uh realize maybe that you didn't take in some moments so i probably have to be pretty uh mindful of that as i go through the weekend but it's it's going to be sad i mean to think that there's not an earnhardt on the racetrack uh in in my family from my dad or Dale um, is just going to be really strange. Um, it's I've grew up with that and watching that, so I don't I don't know. We'll, we'll maybe we can talk about that uh, after the fact in Daytona when we get there. <laughs> I think it'll be sad, I, and I think Dale's going to be sad. You know, he's um, he's not gotten too emotional over over too much that I've seen so far, and in meetings when we're talking about things like that. But I think it's going to hit him, and uh, I think uh, uh, when you see. Uh, my daughter Carson just saw the show car that they used for the QVC show for the Homestead car yesterday. And she's like, Mom, I cried. Because I think when you when you actually touch, feel, and see those moments, it's going to obviously have a whole different uh, level of emotion brought on. You know, one of the other things, too, Dale has a uh, a small podcast called the Dale Jr. Download, which uh, I've know, heard of that. A, a couple people listen yeah, to. Yeah. Irony meter off. Do you? Um, Oh, I listen to it every week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but during that, and that's the first time I've heard that emotion out of him, and I, that was after editing from Tyler, talking about Matt Kenseth also stepping away mm-hmm. this year and, and being, you know, they came into the series together, they're going to leave together, different reasons, of course, but I think that's starting to hit him as this comes down as busy as he is, as busy as you and your team are, 
you know, it'll all come down and, and it will it will be one of those things. You're gonna be balling on national TV. So we asked Dale, like, what do you want this homestead weekend to kind of look like from a managerial standpoint? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. I know you want it controlled and you don't you want to try to get it as normal as possible. You gotta keep in mind, hopefully we're also celebrating a championship in the Xfinity series also this weekend. Uh so you know, what is it that you want? And the thing he said is, I want, of all the things I want, I want a picture with Matt Kenseth mm. in our cars. Mm-hmm. I want our cars. So, like, you know, that that's not actually the most simple thing to no. do is, you know, getting the cars that these teams are trying to race and compete with and go stage them for a photo. But that was the one thing that Dale really wanted uh, was a picture in a moment to, to sort of, like, lock that moment in in time with uh, Matt. It tells you a lot about what, he, what Matt Kenseth means to him, for both on a personal level but also in the career, the racing career, since they were very identical. And, and you know, look, too, Steve mentioned here that the talent drain that NASCAR's had, but I think you might have mentioned it as well, but, you know, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Jr., IndyCar went through this when A.J. Foyt, the Unsers, Rick Mears, all those guys retired at kind of the same time. So Dale not only has a chance, you know, he's been part of what has has grown into the sport has grown into, but with people like William Byron and Alex Bowman and, and the stuff that comes out of junior motorsports, he's going to have a big hand in shaping the future. I think, I think he hopes to, mm-hmm. you know, I like, I don't want to be so arrogant. I know he does to sit there and say, yeah, I'm going to shape the, future. I think that the, I think NASCAR needs some people to really kind of invest in the future. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it takes some accountability and responsibility and not just say, I hope NASCAR figures this out. <laughs> Uh, because I feel like we're all sort of responsible, and I mm-hmm. think Dale Jr. certainly feels that accountability. And so the, the one of the things that um, I don't mind saying it, I'll give it to you guys. I, I'll say this. Uh, you know, one of the things that really infuriated me about what Kevin Harvick said about Dale Jr. stunting the growth of NASCAR mm-hmm. was that you've got a guy who, had, you know, packed up his things in his Xfinity team or his truck team and went and invested and put his money in other sports. Right. You've got Dale Jr., who has been approached by many people over the years saying, why do you still have that team? Why do you still compete in the Xfinity Series? It's a, it's a terrible business mm-hmm. model. It's, you know, look at the stands. Look at this. Look at that. And the guy has never even wavered. No. And he's you know, like, no, this is where I want to be. And, I'm, I, and he likes that idea of investing in the future of the sport and bringing up people want him to go cup. He don't want to go cup. You know why? He, he feels like he's doing a little bit better. Uh, for the sport and for himself by giving people an opportunity as a stepping stone and getting them to the to the sport. Well, the one of the things that enables me to do it is our notoriety, our ability to connect uh, with partners, to be able to bring in partnerships to fund that race team at Junior Motorsports. And so people want to come there and be a part of that. And that gives us an opportunity to give drivers, crew chiefs, crew members, all those guys a springboard to whatever their dreams are. And, you know, like uh, the Navy came to us and said, you know, we, we, you guys want to start a team? I mean, why'd they call us? So I think our reputation and notoriety in the, in the sport led to our opportunities to help those people. And that, that Navy sponsorship indirectly got Brad Keselowski his opportunity with, with Penske. We were able to get Brad in the car. I can't run the car without the funding. So the, our connection with Hendrick as well, we weren't a very competitive team when that, when that communication and connection wasn't strong. Uh, we made a lot of changes in our organization several years ago that increased the communication back and forth. Basically, I brought in a bunch of guys that Rick wanted to cultivate and that were possible future crew chiefs, you know, trying to find the next Chad Knauss. 
we brought them all in there and I'm, you know, we're responsible for these guys and, and, and giving them the opportunity we can uh, to succeed. And it now connects us to Rick because he has his people in our organization that he's trying to grow. And, uh, you know, like Greg Ives' story is a perfect example. Chase's story is a perfect example. So for us to become an asset to Hendrick Motorsports in that way to where they, they need us as much as we really need them uh, was really key to give us opportunities. It just seemed to have been a lot of luck, a lot of good things, a lot of good fortune for those opportunities to line up. When me and Teresa started Chance 2, I was talking to Richie Gilmore, and he said, you need to look at Truex's son. We were at a race somewhere, a practice, and he was testing, and I, as he was out there running around, and I, I had my car there, and we were flying, and I said, you ought to get in my car, man. This is exactly how your car is supposed to drive, so he can go back and work on his car, know exactly what he's trying to do to get his car to work, and we struck up a friendship, and a, he ended up driving for us. Just a lot of uh, random encounters and, and people tipping you off. Mark Martin's one of the guys that was always really good at tipping you off about drivers or he was a good he was a good scout as well always admire that about him knowing when he saw talent always wondered what what he was looking for and how he found it another part of it is your own ego you know you kind of want to leave a mark on the sport you want to leave some evidence behind that you were a part of it and you were there and you did some things to help it help it move along so uh, as we've ran through the last several years with the Xfinity program um, I've been really proud with what we've been able to accomplish I feel like we've we've done a lot of great things outside the car as well as what we've done inside the race car on a cup level so to be quite honest I'm not very hands-on I am I love being a part of it but Kelly deserves a majority of the credit because she's a day-to-day operator over there wow and that's that's really concise too. I mean, it took a while to tell it, but I mean, that's it was clearly thought out. You told me once back when I was doing something for another publication that Dale Jr. is a lot smarter cat than most people give him credit for, including himself. Including himself, yeah. So as his career as a full time driver, he's not going away. He's just going to be slightly not out of phase or out of phase with what he does with he's done for the last twenty years. What are your final thoughts going into his final weekend as that? Uh, I think that we are going to go into a weekend where we will experience a, a an Xfinity Series championship. Uh, we'll have some emotions, but when he wins the race, it will all kind of go away. Uh, we'll be so happy that he won the race. Uh, I think they'll probably award him an honorary doctorate of some sort. Maybe <laughs> They'll maybe knight him. Uh, Teresa will show up, give him the kings, the keys to the kingdom, um, and and it'll just and, be and the perfect fairy tale. And he'll ending. show up on a special edition of Back in the Day, and, and then he's going to say, "Listen, I appreciate what the sport's given me, given to me, but my future is in Back in the Day." That's right. Awesome. I like it. Yeah. Maybe Steve? our ratings will go up. <laughs> we 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 have ratings. I, I don't know. It's truly the end of an era. I mean, it, yeah. With Jimmy Johnson, the last of the uh, the named drivers, the veteran drivers out there, I just still can't believe the guys in the last ten, fifteen years that I you know grew up covering are almost all gone. I won't walk out on pit road and see Dale Jr. behind the eighty eight. It's just going to be strange. It's going to be strange, and I I wish him all the best. Uh, obviously here, but also at Homestead. Man, I would love to see him win at Homestead. And obviously, some of you are listening to this after Homestead, and we all know what happened, but uh, he's going to be missed. He's going to be missed in the garage. He'll be on television. He'll be out there. Thank goodness he's not going away, and he'll still race some Xfinity Series, uh, you know, races and that sort of thing, but it's just not going to be the same. It's going to be very, very different out there. I think Dale's last ride is, is, you know, everybody has to come to that point in their life. He got to make the call himself, mm-hmm. which I think was very important to him. I'm going to I'm gonna miss it because my father, 
was a Dale Senior fan. When Dale Senior died, he became a Dale Junior fan. I'm going to miss it because I've gotten to know him a little bit, Dale. And everything we've talked about today is around him as a person. And, you know, we all know what he's like as a driver. Um, I see what he does with his charitable foundation, the Dale Junior Foundation. I see what he does with fans inside the garage. Um, that's the kind of guy that, you know, I would like my daughters or, or other people's kids to look up to and say, hey, I want to do that. You know, I'm, I have X, Y, and Z. Even if you don't have dirty mow acres and, and, you know, own half of Iredell County and, you know, even if you don't do stuff like that, I think he's been a positive role model. You and I are, da- are fathers. You know, I think it's going to be just really interesting to see what kind of father he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that that's a good point. And, you know, you just said something, Ron. The thing about end of eras, uh, the things about things ending, the thing that makes that rough is that it's some sort of connection to a, a moment in your past mm-hmm. uh, and that you don't like letting go of. I mean, the fact that, you know, when they tear down a baseball stadium, mm-hmm. you may not have been at that baseball stadium in 30 years, mm-hmm. but it was a place that you and your dad might have gone to right. when you were a kid. And just knowing that it was there was always brought some sort of comfort and it was always a reminder of a good time. And when it's not there anymore, you don't like losing that reminder of a good mm-hmm. moment, a good time. And I think Dale Jr., like many things that, that have developed fan bases and people that really admire him, is that just not seeing him in a race car. Being in the booth, it's, it's, it's Steve's right, it's going to be different mm-hmm. because there was some sort of connection. And you mentioned your dad. Your dad was a Dale Sr. fan and then a Dale Jr. fan. Not seeing Dale Jr. on the track now may not just – you won't have that same feeling of seeing Dale Jr. on a track and then have that, you know, that mm-hmm. triggered memory of your dad and how much he, he appreciated uh, watching the Earnhardt's race right. and how unfortunate it is that the Earnhardt's aren't going to be on the track anymore mm-hmm. like that. And that's what sucks about this. It was so hard. And why it's emotional is that it's like, man – it is really an end of something that brought us a lot of joy right. and a lot of good memories, mm-hmm. and we're not going to have those little connection moments of those memories anymore. Now we're going to have to really remember them, and as, we, right. as we get older, Thanks. that's going to go away too. <laughs> oh, hey, you, over on the booth, what's your name again? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and that's exactly right too. It, it shouldn't be a sad time. It's going to be a sad time. shouldn't be a sad time. I'm up for whatever comes next, and I, I wish him the best, you know. Being Dale Jr. is not the easiest thing in the world. Being Ron LeMasters is definitely not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> but Mike Davis, now that's pretty easy. It is, it is, it is, it is yeah. yeah no. Well, you know, I, th- there's a lot of other Mike Davises out there. Right. I, you know, I, if, if something bad happens to me, I can just blame another Mike Davis. It's probably not far away. <laughs> right. It's a common name. And, Steve, we just can't, you know, you are, you are uh, a consummate professional. It's, it's not easy to be you either. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Ron just doling out a lot of compliments right here. Is, are you getting emotional about this? Is that is that where we get the emotional? Actually, I Ron? think I am a little bit. Do yeah. I owe you money or what? Do, do you want? No, no, but you you can always pay him. That's well, right. That's true. I could. I think I have fifty cent. Goodness Maybe. of your fifty cent. I got fifty cent. <laughs> Fifteen cent. Fifty cent. Yeah. Hey, let, let's end on this note. What's your favorite Dale Jr. memory, Steve? My favorite Dale Jr. Oh, my God. Like, when you think about Dale Jr., what's the first thing that comes back is a good memory? Winning the Daytona 500 for the second time. I bet somebody ain't come in here and screamed in 30 years, but they used to. (laughs) My wife had uh, earned a free trip to Mexico to one of those beaches, and I (laughs) I was supposed to go with her that weekend, Daytona 500 weekend. And I said, no, I think I'd rather go to Daytona. Junior's got a pretty good chance to win or whatever. Take your sister. 
So she and her sister went off, and I did not miss Dale winning the Daytona 500 for the second time. It was one of the coolest things. Man, it feels uh, incredible. I was lucky enough to win this race in 2004, and it's the greatest feeling you can have as a driver on a single event, single day. And just trying to uh, explain what that feeling is to people, I've been trying to tell people for 10 years what that felt like, and it's just hard to put it into words. What about you, Ron? I think winning the summer race in 2001 because I was down there, Mm -hmm. and just the emotion that I saw out of him and out of Michael. It was the best celebration I ever had. I won a couple other races, and that was awesome at the time. But now, looking back, there's nothing that could even ever touch that night because it it meant so many things for so many reasons. And I'd started 25th or 6th on that with just a few laps to go and raced all the way up there to get to him. And I was so determined and so focused. And I remember thinking after it was over, that was some Dale Earnhardt crap right there, what I just did. I'm glad Junior won, but I'm happy about how I got there. And and I just wanted to celebrate with him and be a part of that celebration and to run one, two and get to hug in front of the thousands of fans screaming something that when you love a sport as much as I do and you love Daytona as much as I do to get the honor to have that moment it's the most special yeah it wasn't really bitter at all we you know we were going back to Daytona where dad had uh, been killed earlier in the year and uh, I love Daytona I did not have any sadness in my heart when I was there that weekend toward the track you know obviously I was missing my father still and sort of going through that whole process but I, did, I, I love Daytona, and I love what that track means to the sport. That track meant a lot to my father. I really think that, you know, for whatever reason, our team was poised to run well there, and it just happened that the circumstances were what they were. And we had, I knew in practice that our car was out of sight, and uh, we showed it in practice. I had a couple drivers uh, really blown away by how effective our car was. And as, as a company at that point, DEI was, one, was the strongest team on the restricted plate tracks. I think that, that we were sort of just then starting to peak as a company at the plate tracks, and we went on to win several races at Daytona and, and, and Talladega for a couple years after that. To chase those demons away. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I'm sure I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, you go down there and you drive through turn four, Two or 160 times, yeah, you know, and and you know what happened there, and it's still fresh, and he did it. He won. That is major stones, man, and and he did it, and he was so happy, and just just I mean, he ignited that place. That is my favorite Dell Jr. memory, and it happens to be uh, before I ever even start, before I ever knew him. I was in college. I mean, like you know, um, that happened. It's like, how do you beat that? Like, how do you beat it? You don't beat it. Mic drop. That might have been mine had I covered that race that day. Right, I, rem- I, got I, re- it. I remember it from TV, and it was awesome. But as far as me you know, being there, sure, sure. that second Daytona 500 just sticks out. Yeah, and in, in, in my case, if you count, you're like, no, it just needs to be the ones where you had worked with him. And then the first Daytona 500 is my first race. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the fact that he just won the Daytona 500. It was that, like, the way he was after he won that race, and I realized this guy really just is, like, I don't think it hits I don't think he understands what just happened? He did because he, he was admitted, talking. He admitted he's he did. talking about 
like something that is so trivial about something that doesn't matter. Like, hey, man, a buddy of mine did this the other day. It was hilarious. And it's like, you just won the Daytona 500, fool. You know what? And it's like, I'm like, what are we dealing with here? And so then you also think about the moments of that aren't even at the racetrack. Like when we go back from, a, you know, some of my favorite moments with Dale Jr. as a driver have been, you know, when we'd come back from a race and, and just the uh, – the, the speed at which everything, I know that sounds very cliche when you're talking about racing, but the speed of the entire weekend, even even when you're not on the track, just the, the, the people that are coming at you and the, the conversations that you're having and the haze and the hellos and the hey, what's going on here and the scheduling and all this stuff. And then finally you go race and you get into the track and whether we did good or bad or whatever, and then you do media afterwards, whether you were good or bad. And then you go and you get in the car and then you jet off back home and then you get to Dirty Mo Acres and we'd sit on a porch and drink a beer and there might be a buddy or two that was waiting and everything calmed down. And it was like, this is my favorite moment of the entire weekend. <laughs> it's when you can sit down, you reflect, and it's like everything slowed down finally. Mm -hmm. Those are my favorite parts. So you've been around Junior, obviously, more than we have. Funny moments. What are some of the funny moments you can pass along to the fans that they might not know about? Well, for the for the record, I hope those don't end because no, they sure. shouldn't, right? No, I mean, no. like, like Junior's doesn't doesn't forego his sense of humor now that he's not driving. I well, don't think that the the car was the catalyst, but behind his uh, funny moments. No, but obviously, I think not. he's a few years away from get off my lawn. You know? <laughs> no, but I think he's going to play that role spectacularly. <laughs> like I think he will be that old man that uh, doesn't. Like I think you'll end up finding traits about his father anymore in old age uh uh in, in intimidating like you know mm -hmm. i think that's where you might see that come out uh but i, I th let's see funny moments good gosh i mean uh, you're talking about a lot of just you know good times um funny moments funny, funny things that happened to him maybe I, or with fans i you know i think it like i mean these aren't going to seem even that funny but i guess you'd have to be in the moment but i remember like back in the budweiser days uh, you know, these appearances would happen and the like, most outrageous things uh, would happen that we would eventually chuckle at. Like we were, you know, I remember the first time, like I had spent a lot of time pitching this big media thing. I, and, and so it was uh, Wright Thompson who took over and it took over the world as far as the long-form story writing, right? right? Uh, su just a superb talent. Well, his first big piece at ESPN was with us. And so I'd been working on this piece for a long time, and then you get with uh, Wright, and he gets, we pick him up at the airport, and uh, he's in the car with us, and we go to these appearances in New York City, and he's just kind of shadowing us, right? And so we get to the end of the day, and, and, and Wright is really kind of getting some, some, some good stuff now. He's interviewing Dale in the back of the car. Really good stuff. They're going deep, right? They're going Marty Smith deep. That's pretty <laughs> deep, right? You know, uh, and, and so you're like going, and all of a sudden Dale's like, hey, pull over the car. I got to pull over the car. And we're like, wow, see, you know, Wright struck a nerve. Like, he's got to get himself together. No, no, Dale had to take a shot. And he couldn't wait. And so Dale pulled over the car. We're on a busy highway in New York, right? It's like uh, not in Manhattan, per se, but in the, you know, in the Cross other. Cross Bronx. Right, yeah. right. And he goes, I got to take a shot. <laughs> and, and so he jumped out. He hopped the guardrail, went into the woods, and he comes back out. About five minutes later, not wearing a shirt because. Uh, oh, oh, no. So, honestly, 
Wright Thompson just got baptized into the the world of Dale Jr. right in that moment, and it was <laughs> hilarious because Dale Jr. When you gotta go, yeah, you yeah. gotta go, yeah. right? Does yeah, this that make, or in the back does, seat? Does this make the podcast? Heck yeah, <laughs> Dirty Mo Media founder here. Oh, it's dirty, all right. Wright Thompson <laughs> didn't end up putting that in the story. Wright would kill us uh, for saying this, but the fact is, is that Dale said, "Please don't, please, please don't put that in the story." Please don't put that because it's like it's got to be. I was kind of. So we're the first ones to tell this story. I was halfway rooting for it, Uh, but the fact is that we had we were going to the airport. Junior showed up at an airport at a private FBO. uh, You know, not a private FBO, an FBO. FBO, yeah, right. Uh, Was going through TSA. They've got people in there, and and and, uh, he showed up with no shirt on. He had to get the pilot to come uh, find. Give him. Oh, my phone's ringing here. It's my wife. That's all right. Uh, he's like, all right, just send her the voicemail. It'll be okay. That's right, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm married. Podcasting, right. Huh? Uh, anyway, so that was a funny moment that comes to mind. I mean, like any of the comments that, you know, just the stuff that Dale Jr. said on the radio. You know, you're losing uh, some some candor radio on the guy. Oh. I'm convinced that NASCAR.com's track pass or whatever the rate, whatever mm-hmm. they call it these days, like that thing, that thing took off when Dale Jr.'s radio uh, conversations with Tony Jr., particularly his fighting with Tony mm-hmm. Jr. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that, that that's why people tuned into that, and that thing took off. Well, you have your own YouTube channel that says "Shit Dale Jr. Says." Right, you that's know? right. But that those those were hilarious moments, like mm-hmm. the stuff that he would go back and forth. I love the part. This was even before my time when uh, you know uh, Kurt Busch had wrecked him. They go back and they they uh, Kurt Busch was driving that '97 car from Jack Roush. Uh, they go fix the car. Junior goes back out on the track and is tailgating uh, uh, Kurt Busch. And NASCAR gives Dale Jr. a warning. And uh, Tony Sr. gets on the radio and says, NASCAR says to cut that shit out. And then Dale Jr. says, sorry, I can't hear anything you just said. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, Dale said, NASCAR said cut it out. He goes, I can't hear you. Yeah, I can't hear you. And we're like, just uh, how funny is that? Oh, yeah. Takes after his dad. Well, like like this week when he said, how's that track bar working for you? I don't know. Let me ask. Yeah. <laughs> track bar, how are you working for me? Right. You know, so, I mean, that's pretty cool. And you have to be, I mean, life at 200 miles an hour becomes normal if you do it a lot. So that's the kind of stuff that, you know, if it were me in the driver's seat, I'd be scared. Let's yeah, and couldn't do that, but he can do it, and and that's really fun. And, and uh, you know, we were talking about when he when he grew up. I think when he realized that the stuff he was saying people cared about, and he doesn't do it often. He doesn't preach. He doesn't proselytize. He doesn't do that. But when he feels strongly about something, he says what he says, and he shuts the hell up. Yeah, which I think is a really cool thing to be in a, in somebody who's as famous as he is. I've just always been pretty transparent, and um, I don't always claim to be right. But I think in transparency and conversation and compassion, you can learn. You can learn from others. So uh, there's only one way to, to sort of do that, and that's by communication and sharing. So I've always sort of been eager, in a sense, to know more and to learn more and to try to understand both sides. And, and so that's, I think that's where that comes from. Well, it's good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks you for coming. This I is uh, Oh, the, the music. I love there, the music. There's the music. Yeah. Guess what it's time for? It's time for Beat the Buzzer, I think. It's time for Beat the... Actually, it's time for Buzzer to kick Steven Ron's ass is what it is. That's what <laughs> it is. I love Buzz. He's a great guy. I it's love the music. Fantastic. Me too. I feel 1950s like... 1950s type of stuff. Somebody should come around the corner. Such Hello, su- kitten. Such a subtle way to call Buzz old is to put this music in <laughs> this front of the This is old segment. guy radio. Now, you're you're an exception. This is not, you're not an old guy. <laughs> but but you're, 40. you're an old guy in training. <laughs> Oh, 40. I remember 40 vaguely. 
<laughs> I do, um, too. Yeah. I had darker hair back then. I had hair back then. That's right. You yeah. had hair, and I had dark hair. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't make noises when I get up. Okay. All right. Good luck to y'all against Buzz. Right. Thanks. Yeah. All Thanks. Right. We'll need it. We, we, we're trying to trick him this week, so I don't think it's going to work. This week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer, and it's very simple. We've managed to entice Stockar historian Buzz McKim to join us each week for this segment, and as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes, too. More prizes. More prizes. We never <laughs> get tired of giving away stuff. No, we don't. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Well, thank you, guys. It wouldn't be the same without you. <laughs> Wouldn't have a show without us. That's right. Yeah. Well, you got a point there. Uh, yeah. um, before we get to the point in the show where you show us exactly how much better at NASCAR history than we are, uh, <laughs> you are, how do you think Dale Jr.'s career will be remembered? Oh, my gosh. You know, in, in the, the whole history of NASCAR, which is next month is going to be 70 years since NASCAR was formed right. by a bunch of guys there in Daytona. So over that 70 years, there's only been very, very few, just a handful. You can count on one hand the number of people that have had the kind of impact in the sport that Dale Jr. has. Obviously, his father, yeah, Richard Petty, uh, yeah, folks like that. Uh, they, they connect with the fans, and, um, and it's not even so much their driving. It's their personality. The people they are, they just strike a, a special chord with uh, with the fans, and it makes them immortal. And and I, I, I venture to say that uh, Dale Jr. will be one of the immortals of the sport, definitely. From a historical perspective, um, you know, he doesn't have as many wins as his dad or Richard Petty. He doesn't have any titles like those guys do. But mm-hmm. still, I mean, I think his impact is, is more tangential in other ways. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, especially at the uh, at the plate tracks. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was always somebody to contend with. And, you know, no matter where he went, he was like Elvis. You know, he just attracted people. They just flocked to him. And uh, just a very, very interesting individual and, and really kind of shy and um, kind of like little boyish sometimes, you know. But uh, it was almost like, uh, you know, he, he endured his fame. <laughs> but uh, my gosh, what a what an impact he made on the sport. And, and you know, him coming along at the, the perfect time, you know, unfortunately losing his father like that. They needed somebody to pick up that torch and run with it to keep that level of interest among the fans. And what's really and, what's, what's really neat about Junior Buzz is the fact that he's pretty much a normal guy. I mean, mm-hmm. any fan mm-hmm. can approach him and talk with him and get an autograph or whatever and even though they see junior as elvis junior doesn't believe that he is you know an elvis like type of person yeah yeah that's great and uh, that sort of thing just i mean you just gotta love a guy like that because he's just like us you know he's not this um you know living up in rarefied air and all that sort of thing he's just a guy well, it's and pretty rarefied right where he lives, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you were talking about um, titles and all that. Yeah, A lot of folks forget that he did have back-to-back Bush Series championships. So, you know, from the early days, he was somebody to uh, keep an eye on. And uh, I think he's Hall of Fame bound. I really do. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I just That's the first time I've actually heard anybody say it out loud. Ah, well. What do I have to lose, right? No, well, no. Well, you would know. I mean, you're you're you were part of that deal. 
And it's, you know, it's... He, he, it, Buzz is not Hall of Fame bound anymore. Oh, Buzz is no. Hall of, <laughs> Buzz is in the Hall of Fame. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> he's an R Hall of Fame. It's, well, he's in Very, a many, oh, thank he's you. many halls of fame. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let us set this up for you. The week before each episode, we put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio and post with a hashtag back in the day and tag with Exalta. Buzz will represent one lucky fan chosen at random and beat the buzzer against willing foils, Stephen Ron. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> how's it feel to be a willing foil? That's a, that's a new one. Oh, well. It's kind of hard to get wrapped around that. 18th but, show. Uh, yeah. Foil wrapped. Uh, uh, gotcha. Uh, 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 nice. <clears throat> but um, sound effect. If Buzz gets them all right, I think history has shown that he does. That lucky fan will win a prize from Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. Who are we playing for? We are playing for a gentleman named Chris Clark. I'm assuming it's a gentleman. Hey, Chris. All, All right. right. Congratulations, Chris. We'll do our best. We no, will. we'll do our worst. We'll, we'll do our best, and it'll end up being our worst. <laughs> Steve, why don't you start this ball rolling? All right. Here we go with question number one. These are not easy. Which driver finished last? in Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s first career NASCAR Cup Series start. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what's interesting about his first Cup start and his father's first Cup start? There's a lot of similarities. They both came in the 600-mile race at Charlotte. Yeah. His dad ran in 75, and, and uh, Dale Jr. was 1999. They were both 24 years old. Huh. And uh, Jr., uh, he qualified a very impressive eighth, Right. And he's finished 11th. So that was pretty neat. But who came in last was poor old DW. Uh, he was struggling with his own team at the time, and it was toward the end of his career. He only lasted 32 laps when the engine done blowed up, and uh, and he came in last in that race. <sighs> oh, that was a tough question. He came uh, through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know. I, you know, I actually, it's going to get nasty next year. All right. It's going to get nasty. <laughs> No more softballs. No more softballs. We're going to just see what you're made of there, my Kim. Yeah, buddy. Okay. And you'll still beat us. Uh, Question number two. Who won the Cup Series race that took place closest to the day that Dale Jr. was born, and where was it? Oh, very cool. Okay, well, um, Dale was born, or Jr. was born on the 10th of October of 1974. So probably the closest race would have been the uh, what they call the National 500, which was the fall race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, that was held on Sunday, the sixth of October, and David Pearson uh, won that race. He was right in the middle of that incredible tear that he had at uh, at Charlotte with the Wood Brothers. He was just you know every time they showed up, they won, they got the pole. It was just you know almost getting a little boring, but uh, but uh, Pearson was uh, he won just a few days before uh, Dale Jr. was born. Well, he did it again. Yes, he did. Well, thank you. Uh, okay. Man, take a bow. Oh, not yet. Nope, nope. Wait a minute. We, we have the extra special. This is, since this is our last show of the yes, season. Right. Hopefully our last Hopefully show. the last show. This is a killer question. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are going to stump you. I hope so. <laughs> he sounds not worried at all, does he? <laughs> question number three. Yes, sir. What was the name of Dale Jr.'s favorite NFL team? 
Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting. You would have thought, being you know from the Charlotte area, it would have been the Panthers. But as I recall, now the last time I checked, he was a huge fan of the Washington Redskins. Does that sound about right? Yes. We threw a softball. Yes, we we we, we, uh, we were playing we, with you. We tried to get you to fall okay. for the okie doke, and you didn't. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Yeah. That's no problem. All righty. Well, all right. This as long the... as you didn't say the Cowboys or the Eagles, you're in good shape. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Because the power Alrighty. will be cut off to the Dirty Mo Radio Studio. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> The, um, I think that's a first in podcast history here at uh, at Dirty Mo Radio. What what is that? Buzz is unbeaten, eighteen and zero. Yeah, yeah. Dang, buddy, that is fantastic. Well, well when you, I, 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 when, I you have, when you have the former historian at the NASCAR Hall of Fame mm-hmm, mm-hmm. answering trivia questions made up by mm-hmm. Mutt and Jeff here. Yeah, yeah, Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Freaking frack. <laughs> Freaking frack, that's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, anyway, well, exactly. Hey, um, you know, we've always, we're always very thankful for you coming on and lending a scintilla of legitimacy to our endeavor here. <laughs> um, but yeah. no, seriously, thank you for coming along and, and playing mm-hmm. along with, with Frickin' Frack and, uh, you know, making it so that people get the actual real truth about NASCAR's history. Because oh. as history goes forward, and mm-hmm. I, I have kids in, in school now. It's not taught mm-hmm. the right way. So I am mm-hmm. really thankful for the opportunity to give our listeners the pure quill for NASCAR history. And thank you for providing that. Well, I'll tell you, that means the world to me. And uh, I'm just so, so tickled and so honored to be involved with you guys. And uh, it's been a great season. And I'm sure looking forward to next year. we got to send Buzz a prize, too. That's what we got to do. Why? Oh, cool. Well, because he beat <laughs> us. He's, he's undefeated. <laughs> I'll come back next year whether I get anything or not. I'm easy. I'm easy. (laughs) We'll send you a case of Dale's Pale Ale. How about that? Oh, hey, now that'd be all right. Well, it has been an absolute joy, guys, and I uh, wish you the best of the offseason, and uh, we'll see what happens after the first year. Cool, and we we will uh, be in touch with that, and we'll make sure that uh, we're a little bit more competition for you next year, and you Mm -hmm. and your wife and your family have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. Same to you. And we will talk before the new year. Awesome. Thanks, Buzz. That's it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us again. And keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. Remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. 